Well, good morning, everybody. Jesus told us how not to pray. We're going to look at how we should pray. But before we do, I, I just want to give you a thumbnail sketch of who I am, uh, let you know what planet I dropped from, so get a little context uh, to appreciate that. Uh, my wife and I both grew up in the Twin Cities here. I grew up in Bloomington, just south of here. She grew up, actually, this is her backyard. She grew up about a mile from here, and she went to Edina High School. So she is strangely back uh, in, in her stomping grounds, which feels weird to her. But 30 years ago, we moved to uh, Wisconsin. We uh, actually, we had been Christians for a while, but we had some bad church experiences, and we gave up on church. So we quit church, and we decided to live in community. So we joined two other families, and we went to Wisconsin to live on a farm. And uh, there's a whole story there. You can ask me after coffee to tell you that story. It did not go well. Big surprise. But we really got embedded in that community, and I started a church. Uh, first, I, was a pa- I joined a church and became a pastor there, but then I started a, a different church, and that did become successful. And as Tim said, uh, we are just coming up on our 20-year anniversary, and they, I just got a phone call the other day that they want me back to celebrate that, so that's, that's a good sign. Uh, and then uh, I had just a really strong leader as my associate, and I thought, you know, I'm going to let his let him spread his wings and, and lead the church. So I resigned a couple of years ago. I did a short interim in Michigan, and then we decided to move here to Minneapolis again because we have a lot of family here. And so that's why we're here. We live in St. Louis Park, right by Park Tavern, for, the, for those of you who know where Park Tavern is. And uh, as Tim said, we don't know each other well, but we, our paths have crossed at this discipleship school that's around the world, and we kind of followed each other. One of us followed the other as we taught and got to know each other a little, a little bit. And then when I, uh, just as we arrived here in the Twin Cities, I saw on Facebook, Tim was posting that he took this position here. And we were looking, it's funny, because I was looking for a church that was smaller. We, our church in Menominee was about five to 600 people, and, and I was just looking for something smaller. And hopefully either a church plant or a church that was young that wanted to grow. And then uh, I saw Tim, and I thought, what, this, is, this is a perfect marriage of all the things that I was looking for and, and get to be a part of a church where a friend is and someone who I, who's really, you may not know, but Tim's really well-respected in the covenant. Uh, he knows a ton of people. Uh, he's a super guy. I just really enjoy hanging out with him. And I, think, I just think there's great things in store for uh, New City Covenant here, so I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, so today, as he said, I'm going to uh, finish up, wrap up this series on essential prayer, and I'm going to get super, super practical about how to pray because that's what Jesus did, and I I think that's pretty cool how Jesus did that. Um, He taught his disciples how to pray in, well, both Matthew that we read, but also in Luke 11, and I'm going to be looking at that prayer in Luke 11. Prayer is such a great topic because it's probably one of the biggest hang-ups that people have about their faith, if you think about it. I've heard, you know, maybe you, you all here are, are prayer experts, but I've talked to so many people in my pastoring years that they believe in God, but they just do not know how to connect with God through prayer. They just don't know how it works. And so that's always surprised me because prayer to me seems very simple, but it, it, doesn't, it isn't to a lot of people. So as a result of that, they feel like failures. And what do you do when you feel like a failure? You pretty much stop. So a lot of people just don't pray at all, which is really sad. But Jesus told his disciples exactly what to pray. He told them in very uh, uncertain ter- or certain terms what to pray, and it wasn't complicated at all, as we'll see. In the book of Luke, Luke tells us this. It says, um, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, 
just as John taught his disciples. Now, as some of you know, John, that he's talking about here, he's referencing John the Baptist, the guy that came before Jesus to prepare the world for Jesus. And Jesus' disciples admitted here that they didn't understand prayer, which should make us all feel good. If they didn't understand it, it's okay that if we don't understand it either. And they were a little jealous because they saw John's disciples praying. And they thought, come on, Jesus, uh, they know how to pray. John knows how to pray. Jesus, you know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. Come, give it up. We want to know. So that's what Jesus did. He said, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a simple template just a basic prayer to model all your prayers on. It's expandable, okay? Shrink it, expand it, but this is a very basic framework for you to build all your prayers around. So he gave them this prayer, and it was unlike probably any prayer that they'd ever prayed before because it was so simple. He gave them a prayer that wasn't meant to impress God, and it wasn't meant to impress other people. It was just meant to connect with God in a very personal way. And I think that's what we all want, isn't it? Just to be able to connect with God in a, in a personal way. The prayer is so simple that there are only 40 words in this prayer. Think about that, 40 words. I mean, it's almost embarrassing. I, wonder, I really wonder what the disciples thought when they, like, that's it? You're, you're done? You're, it's over? But it, it takes 15 seconds to pray this prayer. So you can time me if you want to, but here we go. I'm going to read this to you. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. I love that because it just tells us that prayer should be simple, not complicated. Simple, not complicated. It doesn't have to be long to be meaningful. You don't have to quote the Bible. You don't have to use flowery words. It can be short. And so there's no time to get distracted like some of us do or maybe even fall asleep. I don't know, but with 40 words, you're probably not going to fall asleep. So we can all breathe a sigh of relief. There's no trick to prayer. There's no secret formulas that you have to memorize. See, by making prayer simple like this, Jesus made God accessible. You don't have to be religious or educated to talk to God. In fact, any, any child can pray this prayer. And I love that about Jesus, that he, he makes his Father accessible approachable. And to be honest, you know, I was just thinking as we were sitting there, I thought my heart beats to make God approachable and accessible. And I think the church has done a bad job of that. I think the church often pushes people away from Jesus. And it just breaks my heart every time I I see something that the church does or what people say in the church that would cause people to run away from God rather than be attracted to him. Now, you should also know, regarding this prayer, that there's no benefit to praying the prayer if you don't know what it means, okay? And and I see that happen a lot. This prayer, it's not an incantation. That means it's not magic. And some people treat it like that. They just use it like wherever, whenever. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to pray, so they use it that way. Even though they have no idea what it means, they just recite it. And when I was a kid, that, that was true. My mom... And I, when she put me to bed, she, we always prayed the Lord's Prayer. And, and eventually I, I said, Mom, I don't know what it means. What, what, is it, what does the Lord's Prayer mean? And it stumped, my question stumped her. She didn't know herself. And I thought that was strange. I thought that, and that's probably in the back, the recesses of my mind, that probably what drives me as a pastor to help people understand who God is. Because here my mom is reciting this prayer every night, and she didn't even know what it meant. That's so sad to me. 
So what I want for us today is to leave here knowing what the prayer means, what, what prayer means, so you can adopt it to your life and so you can make personal contact, connection with God. Now Jesus' first few words in this prayer tell us how to approach God, okay? And the first word is simply Father, right? Father. This tells us that God is personal. And like I already said, approachable. God is approachable. He's our Father. But he's also holy, okay? May his name be kept holy. We have to keep these two things in balance. And he's Father, but he's holy. And just because God welcomes us into his presence doesn't mean that we can treat him with any disrespect, that we can treat him casually. Now, telling God that he's holy, it really sets the tone for the whole prayer, for your whole stance before the Lord. It's a way of humbling ourselves and acknowledging that we are not like him, okay? Telling God that he's holy is our way of surrendering ourselves to God's leadership in our lives and saying, God, you you tell me. I'm not here to tell you. You're here to tell me. In fact, the entire prayer should be spoken with that attitude of surrender and humility. After we tell God that he's holy, Jesus gave us the context for the prayer. We should approach God with his kingdom in mind. Jesus said, may your kingdom come. Now, for years, I always thought that meant like you were praying for the end of the world to come. God, just bring it all, end it all. But it doesn't really mean that. What you're praying for is his kingdom to come now, okay? And preferably through us, through me, right? And what does that look like? What does it mean for the kingdom of God to come through me, through you, through us as a, as a church body? Well, Jesus got very specific about that in, in Matthew, not here in Luke, but in Matthew, in the, kingdom, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us what the, what the kingdom looks like. Jesus said that we bring the kingdom to earth when we walk in humility and brokenness of spirit or when we offer mercy or justice to the oppressed. Kingdom comes when we refuse to stir up division and and instead seek to restore broken relationships. God's kingdom comes when we love our enemies rather than retaliate against them, get back at them. God's kingdom comes when we choose sexual purity over impurity and unity over divorce. And it comes when we give generously to the poor. Put simply, God's kingdom comes when we live out a life that reflects the nature and the character of God in everything that we do, as well as his generosity. Now, it's important to note that God's kingdom doesn't come politically, okay? And that's an important thing to know this week, especially. God's kingdom isn't something that can be imposed from the outside, And that's a common misconception that many people have today, unfortunately. Too many people think that they can vote God's kingdom into existence. You know, if we just pass the right laws and if we just put the right people in place, then God's kingdom now can come. No, it doesn't work like that. And that's totally missing the point. God's kingdom kingdom comes uh, when you and I live out the teachings of Jesus in our life, with our family, with our friends, at school, at work, wherever. God's kingdom comes God's kingdom comes when we choose to model the character of God in everything that we do. The idea of God's kingdom should should frame our prayer. It's a guiding principle to keep us on track with God. Everything that we ask for in prayer should be related to God's kingdom coming. Okay, I think it's a good thing to keep in the back of our mind. Will, will Will what I'm praying help bring God's kingdom into the world through me today? See, prayer is about, al- about alignment. We want to surrender 
our will to God and align our thinking with God's desire to bring his kingdom to earth. And that's really, well, that's a game changer once you start to realize that that's where you're, that's the goal of prayer is to be in alignment with God's kingdom. It really helps focus your prayer life. Now, many people never think about this, of course. They don't come to God for alignment. They're not looking for alignment. They're not looking for surrender. They're not looking for God's kingdom. They just want to be rescued. (laughs) They just want God to fix what they broke. And that's okay. I mean, I think God welcomes, you know, if you think about it as a parent, you want your kids to come to you no matter what. So I'm not trying to scare you away, like, oh, I got to remember all these things about how do I approach God. But if you want to approach God as in the best way possible, it's these three things that I just talked about. We want to get on God's wavelength with the right attitude, respecting his holiness and understanding his desire, his passion for his kingdom to come to earth. So that's the backdrop to this prayer. The words Father, Holy, and Kingdom tell us how to approach God. And then Jesus tells us three things that we can ask for. The first thing we can ask for is provision, okay? Jesus said we should pray, give us each day the food we need. Or more traditionally, give us this day our our daily bread, as maybe you were raised to hear it. Praying for our daily bread in the day of Jesus was a necessity, right? They didn't know when they got up that day if they were going to have the food they needed to survive. So it was very practical. But for us, the prayer is mostly symbolic because for most of us, I would imagine we have food in our cupboard. If I went to everyone's home today, I'm pretty sure, pretty confident that I'd find food in your cupboard and your refrigerator and your freezer and in the deep freeze in the garage, okay? We've got a lot of food. In fact, you could probably go for a week, maybe a month without ever having to tap you know, actually having to go to the store. So in some respects, asking for our daily bread isn't relevant. We live in a culture of excess. We are entitled if we want to admit that. We expect to have food on our table and we're upset when we don't get it. We get hungry and we start complaining. But in another way, this prayer is relevant because it's a way of expressing our dependence upon God, right? It's like we're telling God, God, first of all, I just want to thank you that I do have food in my cupboard. I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. And I know that right down the road there's a store and I have a bank account and I'm all good on that end. But second, God, I want you to know that even though my cupboards are full, I still need you. And without you, I'm nothing, right? And if your kingdom, God, again, keeping the kingdom in mind, if your kingdom is to come through me, it can only come by you providing me with goodness and mercy the wisdom and grace that I need to show that to the world. God, without you, I'm nothing, but with you, as Jesus said, all things are possible. A few verses later, here in chapter 11 of Luke, Jesus encouraged his disciples to ask for whatever they needed. And this is a familiar verse to you, possibly, but it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So the first thing to pray for is provision. We ask God to meet our needs, but not our greeds. Next item to pray for is pardon. Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our sins. Now this, I just have to slow down on this topic because this is really, really amazing. I don't know if we always appreciate God's forgiveness. It's talked about so much in the church. We sing about it. It's, it's in everything we do. And so whenever that happens, that's good. But on the other hand, it's, 
it can uh, become rote and we don't appreciate it like we should. I think what impresses me that Jesus gives us the green light to go to this holy God and to ask boldly for forgiveness. Okay. The Apostle John affirmed it. He said, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. What a, what a cool drink of water to a thirsty soul. Jesus tells us to pack up our sin and our stupidity, our regrets, our bad decisions, every terrible mistake we've ever made throughout our entire life, bring them to God and he will forgive us. I mean, that is amazing stuff. We never have to worry that God will hold these things against us. He frees us to live a new life. You know, each one of us carries a trove of pain and hurt from our past sin. And if I could shine a light on that sin and that pain and expose it to you, I think you'd feel the the full, soul-crushing weight of it. But Jesus said, I've got an answer for that. It's God's forgiveness, and he can release you from that pain. He wants to make you new. So I really think we need to just stop and think about that and go, yeah, that, that is pretty amazing. Maybe, maybe I do take that a little bit too much for granted. And with that thought, I just want to stop and pray and just thank God right now for it, okay? Just to hover over this thought and we'll hover it over again when we share it in communion. So let me pray. Father God, I, I do just want to hover over the idea of forgiveness. We see that you're our Father, but we see that you're holy, and and the the thought with holiness is, oh my gosh, how can I ever come into the presence of this holy God? But the answer is through your forgiveness. And I pray that you'd expand our mind and our heart to understand what that means, the implications in our life, how we might live our life if we have fully received all the forgiveness for all of our sins, how that would change us. So it isn't just a rote idea in our religious mind, but it's something that has touched every sin in our life and dispelled that sin because it's been touched by that love and the forgiveness of God. So thank you. And might it take on new meaning for us in days to come. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God's forgiveness, forgiveness rather, is at the heart of who God is. It's at his heart. It's it, for his forgiveness is what allows us to turn to God. I mean, that's why Jesus came, right? To, so we could have forgiveness, so we could be, stored, be restored to God. And that's why we aren't just to ask God to forgive us. We're to ask God to forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive others. And, and that's, uh, that's tempting. That, I mean, that, that's a challenge. That's a, there's a tension in that, that, oh, I'm asking to be forgiven, but only as I forgive others. That creates a tension. And that helps us to not just selfishly ask God to forgive us, while at the same time we forget the people in our, in our lives that need our forgiveness, right? The temptation is to simply use God as our, as our personal conscience cleanser, and as soon as we receive that forgiveness, we can go back to life as usual. But that's not a kingdom mindset. If we're we're praying in terms of the kingdom, that's not a kingdom mindset. God's kingdom doesn't come to earth when we act selfishly that way. If if we've truly experienced the the forgiveness of God, it changes us. 
and it causes us to want to share that same forgiveness with the people in our lives. We no longer are tempted to forgive people who we think deserve it. No, because we, we know that we didn't deserve the forgiveness that, that God gave us. We forgive others because we understand that forgiveness is the language of God's kingdom. It's the fragrance that, she, that should follow us where, wherever we go. And as a result, people around us will gain a better understanding of who God simply by observing us. Right? Okay, so we can ask for provision. We can ask for pardon. Finally, Jesus tells us to ask God for protection from the evil one. Now, in Luke's version of the prayer, he simply says, don't let us yield to temptation, okay? He doesn't mention who's doing the tempting. It's implied. But in Matthew's version, he adds, he lets us know who's doing the tempting. It says, rescue us from the evil one, okay? So Jesus is pointing to another power out there in the world, that is the devil, that's set against us. See, if you've surrendered your will to God, if you're committed to bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is saying, you've got an enemy. You've got a dark force that's set against you. A friend of mine was telling me recently that he's committed to bringing reconciliation. He's got this large extended family that's all, they're all at war with each other. And he says, I am committed to bringing this family together. And he said, but I, I think the devil doesn't like it. And I feel like there's this antagonism against me in, in the spir- spiritual realm. And I said, oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that because in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he, he reveals that. He, he was encouraging the people to forgive, to forgive someone. And listen to what Paul had to say about Satan and forgiveness. Paul said, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And I forgive so that Satan will not outsmart us for he, we are familiar with his evil schemes. You hear that? We know. Paul said, we know that Satan has schemes that are set against us. I mean, I just think that's so revealing. That to Paul, it was obvious. And I think for us, it's not always obvious. Paul was fully aware that the devil was set against the church and he was tempting the church to not forgive someone. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't talk a lot about the devil. I don't, in the church circles that I run in, they don't talk about the devil a lot. And some people don't even believe in the devil. Maybe you don't, and that's okay. You don't have to believe in the devil. But Jesus did, okay? Jesus did. And, and I trust what he had to say about the devil because he's a little more in tune with the spirit world than I am. Jesus knew firsthand what happens to people who put God's kingdom first. The devil comes to tempt them, okay? Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. So he has firsthand knowledge of this temptation. So Jesus said, we need to ask to be protected from that temptation. Apostle Peter said something similar. He said that the devil is like a roaring lion that's, that's going about trying to destroy us. So if you seek to bring God's kingdom, if you seek to be a peacemaker or show mercy or love enemies and forgive, the devil will be looking to undermine you and tempt you to give up. Thankfully, Jesus said that we can ask God to protect us from that temptation. So there you go. Jesus said we can pray for provision, we can pray for pardon, and we can pray for protection. Someone once said that the greatest problem with prayer isn't unanswered prayer. 
The greatest problem with prayer is unoffered prayer. We fail to ask God for what we need. Kind of like a, a child failing to ask their doctor parent for medical attention or Tiger Woods kids failing to ask for help with a golf swing. I mean, it's just stupid. And sometimes we're like that. It's kind of crazy. We, we fail to ask God to help us. Well, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to transition over to uh, communion. I'm going to have Pastor Tim come up and join me then. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus' clear teaching here. Thank you that talking to you doesn't have to be complicated. You have made God so approachable for us. But help us to come with the right attitude. Help us to be in alignment with your desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to live out your character by the power of your spirit and may people come to know you by knowing us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, that God sent Jesus into the world to forgive us so we could be restored to him. And that's what communion's all about. That's what, that's what communion celebrates. You know, in the uh, book of Matthew, at the Last Supper, Jesus lift, lifted up the glass and he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out to, for, for the forgiveness of many. And I always like the many, not the few. I think a lot of times people preach like Jesus just wants to give, be a few and wouldn't you know that we are a part of the few, you know. But no, for the many. So there's many people he wants to forgive and he poured out his life for that. And then he said that, and this is my body that's been broken for you for that same, for that same forgiveness. So I have never been a part of communion here. And so what I'm told is we start with this side and you come forward and then go back. And I th- what, do you dip this? I just have to tell you, about, so I had been a Christian for many years, and I started going to a Lutheran church, and they, said, they were serving communion, and they, started, they said, we'll be serving communion today by intinction. And that sounded like a disease. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> but here's, for those of you who are like me, intinction is when you break off a piece of bread and you dip it into the juice, and then, okay? So now you don't have to be embarrassed if you don't, like I was when you don't know what intinction is. So we'll start with this side.